Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude. If you would, Jude only has one chapter. It's the book right before Revelation. Jude, in chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 5, where we left off last time. And the title of our study today is Apostasy, Then and Now. Apostasy. We've learned that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, and he started to write a note of encouragement to the believers but he ended up writing one of the strongest letters elevating truth and warning believers of falsehoods and false teachers. It's one of the strongest letters toward falsehood and false teachers in all the Bible. And it's a small book, 25 verses in the New King James, uh, 600 plus words, but it's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and very important truths. The topic of the letter in general is apostasy. Have you heard that word before, apostasy? The definition is to defect from the faith. Or another way of saying, defining apostasy, is to leave from true faith. And the leaving from true faith, I believe, reveals the fact that they never really had true faith to begin with. There was a separation that took place. And someone to depart from the faith, someone to depart from the fellowship, someone to depart from, like there's something real popular today known as deconstruction. And what's happening is, is people are beginning to analyze their life and analyze their Christian experience and and associate their Christian experience with one particular church or the upbringing in their family or how their parents treated them. And and they're ascribing all of the mistakes that might have been made. And by the way, can I just say, Anyone, anywhere involved with other believers in any type of church gathering, any type of group, are going to experience mistakes. Your parents are going to make mistakes. Your grandparents are going to make mistakes. Pastors are going to fail you. People are going to fail you. That is part of the human condition. However, that's upon the backdrop of Jesus, and Jesus Christ himself will never fail you. He'll never leave or forsake you. And so this sense of deconstruction is actually just a response to pain and hurt experienced by other human beings. And the problem with deconstructionism is it leads to apostasy. It leads to people leaving the faith, associating behaviors of people to the one true living God. And and whenever you hear that phrase, now let me just say, I'm not opposed to testing the truth. I'm not opposed to examining yourself, making sure that you're in the faith. That's different. Just looking at where you're at, praying about what's going on in your life, having, having these crises of faith. I think everyone, especially kids that are raised in a Christian home, will have at some point in their life a real crisis of faith. It's that moment in time or that doctrine or teaching where a son or a daughter says, you know, I know what my parents believe. I know I was raised in this home, but I'm not sure I believe that. And as they process that thought, I mean, it's our responsibility to come and help them and answer their good questions. Listen, answer their good questions with good answers. 
because there are good answers. And so the questioning is not, I'm not opposed to that. Like that's part of life. That's part of exploration. That's part of learning. It doesn't make a person bad that they have these, this crisis of faith or doubting. But the idea of deconstruction is almost like an overreaction to the reality of difficulty in this world. And whenever you hear that phrase, almost always you're going to read of someone apostatizing. And you go, wait a minute, this guy wrote a book that sold millions. Yeah, but was he really a believer to begin with? Wait, this guy, he just divorced his wife. Yeah, but was he really a believer? You know, this guy, he was in the pulpit and now he just came out. Yeah, was he really a believer to begin with? We need to consider that. Listen to what the Bible says. Just jot it down. It's a good cross-reference in this book. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, listen. John writes, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you, have come, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And here he describes, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And we're seeing a shaking right now of the church with what's going on in our culture, what's happening all around us. And it is discouraging to see so many. I, I've been reading a lot in the last, I don't know, eight years or so about the history of our own little church family. The church family, Calvary Chapel, the Vineyard, so many other great ministries that started in what was known as the Jesus Movement. And it was just an amazing time of revival in our country that our church owes its roots to. Calvary Chapel, Vineyard, they weren't the only churches uh, that were involved in birth through the Jesus movement, but it's our church, it's our family, it's our history. So I've been reading and reading, whether it's Greg Laurie or whether it's uh, John Wimber or Chuck Smith, I've been reading all these. And the one thing that discouraged me the most is in each of those books, they talk about, yeah, we were serving with so-and-so, but they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And we were doing great things. Even in Billy Graham's biography, his right-hand man became a radical atheist. And we have to ask ourselves, were they ever saved to begin with? Were they ever saved to begin with? Were they ever born again? Because a person in the Bible, you'll, you'll never read anywhere in the Bible of a real bona fide man or woman, boy or girl that was born again, ever becoming unborn again. Never in the Bible. You have new life, you're a new creation in Christ, you're going to persevere, you're going to endure, you're going to get through the battles, but there are those that disappear, that I believe pretend, they pretend to be a part of the body of Christ. They're Christians in name only, or a new phrase that's been developed over the last few years, cultural Christianity, especially within our culture, where it just seems to be easy to be a believer. Let me tell you, friend, it is not easy to live for Jesus Christ in a dark, wicked world that will be challenging. You go, Ed, what do you mean? What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Well, I'm just repeating to you what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, John chapter 16, verse 33, you should memorize it, just so you can be encouraged when you're going through difficulty. In this world, you will have tribulation. And that tribulation will be met Why? he says, but hey, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The overcoming power of a world that's under the sway of the wicked one is found solely in Jesus Christ alone for the born-again believer. So remember, hypostasy and, and, apostasy and hypocrisy go together. 
apostasy and hypocrisy. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, what do you mean? How are they exactly closely related? Well, hypocrisy is this fake, dishonest way of life. The word comes to us from the Greek plays, from the Greek theater, the idea of putting on a mask to play a role so that whatever mask you had on was the role that you played. So if you wanted to play a male character, you'd put on a male mask. If you wanted to play a female character, you'd put on a female. If you wanted to play a jester, you'd put on a jester. But behind the mask was the reality. And so when you face hypocrisy, you're basically putting on a mask for everyone around you, hiding the real you. And when you live with hypocrisy, and when the church presents hypocrisy, when hypocrisy is praised and honored, the, the world gets tired of that stuff. They already live in a fake world. What the world is looking for, and I think many believers, is authenticity. You'll hear that word. That's a big buzzword today. And basically, you just people are, I just want something real. I just want something real. I want somebody to tell me the truth. I want to be able to trust somebody, and they won't stab me in the back. And certainly, you've heard that. And then the other part of that is with hypocrisy, you know, you'll hear, well, you know, I'm not interested in church. It's just full of a bunch of hypocrites, which isn't necessarily uh, an, uncor- an incorrect statement. You know, th- there is hypocrisy among us. There can be hypocrisy in my life as a pastor. It's something I have to guard against so that I can be real. One of the reasons why folks don't want to be real is because they're afraid of judgment, they're afraid of shame and guilt, they're afraid, it's, it, there's a phrase, we don't have time to develop it, there's a phrase in the scriptures that talks about the fear of man, the fear of man, just worried about what people think and worried about whether, whether you're going to be accepted, worried about how you're going to fit into the culture, but it's better to be right with the Lord and let him take care of those things. It's not okay to be a hypocrite, it's not okay, and where you know where hypocrisy exists in your life, Deal with it. And so don't be surprised, even in our day and age, 2,000 years later, where you hear all sorts of deconstructing and people that were platformed, people that made a lot of money with books and music and you know, celebrity pastors, they just end up crashing and burning because you have to ask the question, were they saved to begin with? Were they saved to begin with? This isn't new. It's been going on for 2,000 years. What people are forced to come to terms with is that they never really did surrender their lives to the Lord. That's something they have to ask. They were living a very surface, fake life. Let me again write it, jot it down in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, here's the difficulty when it comes to us. We don't know who are real believers or who aren't. We don't know. We don't know your heart. We don't know your personal relationship with God. We don't know. And it's important you realize that. But here's how we handle that. You say you're a real believer, we'll treat you like one. And we'll hold you to a biblical standard. And we'll encourage you. We'll pray for God's best in your life. You say you're a believer and you act like an unbeliever? Well, then we'll exhort you and call you to a biblical standard and call you to repentance and call you to submit to the authority of God's word and call you back to a vibrant life. Now, if you're an unbeliever, we'll treat you like that. We'll love you 
care for you, will share the gospel with you, and you too will be called to repentance. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about who's saved or who's not saved because that's a relationship you have with God. The time that I spend is exhorting you and encouraging you to keep your eyes on Jesus and follow him. No matter where you are, saved, unsaved, acting like it, not acting like it, uh, hopefully, uh, and that's not even hopefully, in this church, you're just going to get the truth. That's what you'll receive to the best of our ability. You may not like it. You may not like us for it, but one day you'll look back. If, I hope it's before you meet the Lord, but one day you'll look back and go, I am glad in my journey in life that somebody told me the truth. I'm upset about it. I'm still a little mad at them, but I'm glad that somebody told me the truth because when you love someone, you tell them the truth. You don't lie to people that you love. It's a very painful behavior. And it undermines trust and undermines relationship. It requires a lot of repentance and humility. For the people you love, you tell them the truth. And that's where Jude is. He's telling us the truth. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. I don't know who's apostate until it happens. And even in the short history that we've had here, I've watched a lot of people fall away. I'm just shocked by it. I would have never known. I served with them. They're in leadership here. I mean, I would have never in a bajillion years predicted that they would have fallen away, become atheists and antichrists. Not just upset, not just mad, but just like, man, I, I do not want to follow Jesus at all. Or, or they created God in their own image. I, I just didn't, I, I was naive, I think, in many ways. Just naive to what I wouldn't have expected that to be. But then when I start reading about the history of the church, I start reading about the history of our own little movement, it's not unusual. And so my prayer becomes that you are a real believer and you just steady on following Jesus no matter what. That you don't fall away. That you don't walk out those. You don't become this person like, oh, they were faking it all along. They weren't real. We'd rather have the mess of reality than the mess of hypocrisy any day of the week. We'd rather deal with the reality of where your life is, help you, walk with you, encourage you, exhort you. I'd rather have the mess of reality than have to deal with all the lies and deceit and somebody fighting us out the door like, oh no, you don't understand. No, no, actually we do understand. You just won't humble yourself. You won't humble yourself. Apostasy. We need to learn to walk by faith, surrendering daily, moment by moment, walking in love, because remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says that no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. But do you remember what he says before that? That's kind of, we, we kind of use that phrase. We, angel, you know, the devil can make himself an angel of light. But listen to what he says first in verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles or followers of Christ. There are people that claim to be one thing, but they're liars. And deceitful. And that's what Jude is really dealing with here. So let's pick up uh, where we left off in, let's go in verse 4 of there in Jude. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, verse 5, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, 
but left their own habitation, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I like that phrase. I want to remind you. I know that many times, especially in a church that teaches through the Bible, you get that sense like, I've heard that before. Like, I've heard that before. And sometimes you think, well, Ed's just not coming up with new material. He just keeps teaching the same thing over and over again. I've heard that before. I think I've heard that before. And the reason why you've heard that before is God loves to repeat himself. It's one of the best ways to learn. Repetition. And so what does Jude say? I want to remind you guys. You need to remember this. I don't want you to forget this. And he's appealing to their memory. Remember, church. Remember what you've been taught. Paul will do that as well. Remember, remember, Peter. Remember, remember. I like what Skip Heitzig says here, and I quote, For truth to have an impact in the present, we must remember the past. This happens on a number of levels, he writes. Every September 11th, for almost the last 20 years at Ground Zero in Manhattan, New York City, the names of those people who died in the World Trade Towers are read publicly. Why every year, he asked. Why every year? Why go through that? So no one forgets. So that no one forgets. Jude says, I want to remind you guys, you know this already, but you need to hear it over and over again. And he gives three biblical pictures of apostates, of those that have turned or fallen away from God, experiencing God's judgment. The first group in verse 5 are the Israelites in Egypt. By reference, you can jot down Numbers chapter 13 and 14. But he says, I want to remind you, though, I want you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The children of Israel were at an important place in history when they came to the area of Kadesh Barnea. Moses sent in 12 spies to buy out the land, but really just to confirm what God already said. Ten came back with a discouraging report. Two came back with an encouraging report. And the people believed the ten. Because it's easier to believe bad news than it is good news. And because of that evil report, the children of Israel started what became a 40-year death march. And a whole generation was wiped out in the wilderness. There was a rebellion against the word of God and the will of God. Apostasy involves rebellion against the word of God and the will of God. And as a result, everyone 20 years and older were destined to die sometime in the next 40 years. Those who did not believe fell away from the position of faith in the Lord and experienced the consequence of that bad decision. Notice group number two in verse six. This group of angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he's reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Now, scripturally, we see two different falling away of angels. One where the demons are still roaming on the earth today and one where there's a group reserved in chains. The first is in Isaiah 14. 
In Isaiah 14, with Lucifer rebelling against God, he ends up taking one-third of the angels with him. The other, we don't know where or when it happened. We just know the result. We're not entirely sure when it happened or even how many are involved. But something caused God to chain these guys up <laughs> until the day of judgment. Such wickedness. And you can jot down the reference we learned in 2 Peter chapter 2. So even angels God judged because of their decisions of rebellion toward him. Even from a position of privilege and authority and blessing and opportunity, they still turned away from God's love. The third group is in verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities around them in similar manner, gave themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh. And he says, I want to remind you, because they're set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, why would Jude have these in mind? I think that you connect them back to verse 4. Certain men crept in unnoticed. Remember, they were into licentiousness, sexual sin, wickedness, perversion. He connects it with those angels that have fallen, and now he connects them with the sexual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible tells us that the people in these cities were ungodly and filthy and wicked and unlawful, unjust, even sexually deviant. Their sin was not occasional, but the Greek here refers to indulging in excessive immorality. It was their lifestyle. Homosexual sin, the pridefulness of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah is all too familiar in our culture today. I know that our, because we live in this country, our country gets a lot of attention, but sexual sin is in every country. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is involved in wicked, rebellious sin against God. Of the sexual kind, of pride, of arrogance, of being unlawful and wicked and unjust. Many, most of the world, much of the world does that under the guise of false religion. And it's covered up by their religious practices. It wasn't simply facing temptations in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was the aggressive homosexuality pushing an agenda in Sodom and Gomorrah. God brought strong judgment to these cities, destroying them for their sinfulness. Can I just say sexual sin will destroy you too? It'll destroy you starting on the inside out. It'll destroy your singleness. It'll destroy your purity. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your relationship with your kids. It'll destroy your relationship with the opposite sex. Any normal friendships will be all skewed up and perverse. Why? Sexual sin, pornography, things of the mind, things of the action. Like God, God wants to do that work of, of cleansing of our past. But what happens when you bring your past into your present? And you don't deal with death blow to the flesh. And then you think, well, it's not that big a deal. No, it's a bigger deal than you think. It is corrupting you on the inside. I always like to use a simple illustration. It's not that complicated. But if I gave you a cup of water, fresh, fresh, cold, Aurora Reservoir water, right from the tap, all cleaned up and ready to go. And you're thirsty, you've been out working, taking care of things outside. You're thirsty, and I have that for you. But I say, wait, wait. In order for you to take this glass of water, I also have a little, a little bottle here with a dropper, and it's pure arsenic poisoning. And I say, here's the deal. 
You, you need to pull a number out of the hat, and that's how many drops of poison I'm going to put in. And there's numbers from 1 to 10. And he goes, oh, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll take my chances. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to take the number because I'm so thirsty. And you pull out the number 1. And I go, okay, that's the deal. I'm going to take out the dropper. I'm going to put it in front of you, and I'm going to put that dropper. I'm going to drop one drop of deadly poison. Oh, oh, by the way, one drop of deadly poison is all it takes. You don't need two, three, four, five, ten. There is a very, very, very good chance that even though you hit the right number in pulling it out of the hat, and even though it's just going to be one little drop, and even though you might have taken your chances before, even though, even though, I think as you are aware of the situation in the moment, there is a good chance you will not drink that water. You, you will forego it to another time and wait and wait. And yet so many today in the body of Christ, they don't put one drop, they don't put two drops. Many times it is a glass of poison with a couple drops of water in it. And you wonder, why is the church so weak today? Why is there such a distance between me and my wife? Why is there such a distance between my husband? Why, why are we so fractured? Why is my singleness so discontented? And you have to look and say, hey, am I presenting myself unto the Lord or am I a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite in the body of Christ? And hypocrisy should be dealt with and taken very seriously. Pretending. Because you're not, you, we may not know. We don't live with you. We don't, we're not in your house. We're not in your head. We're not on your phone. We're not checking through your computer. We don't know. But the Lord knows. And so do you. Those are the two most important people that need to know. The Lord and you. And here we are. Sodom and Gomorrah, they're way past. It says right here that they've gone after strange flesh. You can compare that phrase, gone after strange flesh, with Romans chapter 1. Gave themselves over to immorality and all kinds of strange sexual sin. You think you're not going to have any consequence? You will. They're an example. They suffered vengeance of eternal fire. They just didn't have, it's not just a reference here in Jude to the destruction of the city Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't use that phrase. He says eternal fire. They're lost. Apostate. Never walking with the Lord at all. Never real relationship at all. The sin of Israel was religious or rebellious unbelief. The sin of this group of angels was rebellion against the throne of God. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was rebellion and in indulging the flesh. Now Jude gets back and it's like all the false teachers that Jude is writing against exhibited the same characteristics. They exhibited the same behaviors. Maybe they were more refined. Maybe they built trust before their true colors came out. But the false teachers, this is what I want you to know. There's false teachers. Watch out for them. They're marked out for condemnation. Ungodly men, verse 4. They turn the grace into licentiousness. But I want to remind you, it's not the first time. This is the pattern of those that rebel against God. Apostasy. It's not new. Throughout the Bible, there are examples of the consequences of falling away. There's the consequences of listening to false teachers. There is a difficult ending for those decisions. So as we close today, I want to exhort you and encourage you and remind you as well. 
Here's one of the antidotes that will help you and me stay close to the Lord. It's so important for us to remain or return to a real simplicity in our relationship with God. Simplicity. The world and its systems love to complicate things, love to confuse, love the bait and switch and the smoke and mirrors, and you just don't know which way is up and which way is down. And some of that nonsense has come into churches and and there's just not a simplicity anymore. It's so complicated, so difficult. Follow this and do that. Things become so difficult that you walk away from the simplicity of the gospel and walking away from the gospel is never a wise choice. Can I show you what I mean? Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians with me? Because I want you to mark this. This is our final reminder. You guys listening on the radio, watching online, join us. Follow us. Come back to simplicity. Ask your pastor or leader to get back to simplicity. Maybe you're in a church that doesn't even teach through the Bible. Like they're, they're using things and you know, you just ask your pastor. Just write him a letter. Email him. Teach me the Bible. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We need to know it. We need to understand it. And we need to know how to live it. And that's what Paul says. Look at his testimony. Let this be your testimony. Pray over this. Memorize these verses. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world, and mark these words, in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and, so that was how we lived in the world, and more abundantly toward you. The church should be filled with more simplicity, not less. <laughs> more godly sincerity, not less. And yet in the world, you don't have to play the world games. You don't have to go along the way of the world. You don't have to, to, to commit crime and lie and steal and climb the corporate ladder. No, godly sincerity and simplicity. God will bless that. God will bless that. Say, but Ed, if I don't get along with the program, I'll never get the promotion. Let me suggest to you. Maybe the promotion isn't for you. No, no, you know, it is for me. I've spent my whole life working for this promotion. Maybe you've wasted a lot of time in your life for something God never really had for you. If you have to compromise, if you have to lie, if you have to play the world's games and not be authentic, godly, sincere, and simple. Just a simple relationship with the Lord. Have you ever considered that it wasn't God's will for you? I had to learn that very, very hard in my times in the corporate world. While I didn't choose to play their games, I really did aspire to climb the corporate ladder, even the right way. And each time God didn't allow it, I was so upset. I said, but Lord, like he's not even, he doesn't even love you. Why would you give him that position? I want that position. And I remember even, I remember even moving here to Colorado. My, my boss had come into my office and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm moving to Colorado. And after a very difficult season, we wanted to move here and plant a church and God closed that door and we went back home and just like, okay, we're going to live here and we're just going to continue to serve in our church. It's, we're not going to Colorado. A couple weeks later, my boss comes in and he says, hey, Ed, guess what? I'm going to Colorado. I remember him walking out and going, this is not fair. He does not love you, God. 
and you're going to take him to Colorado, and I'm staying here, and heaven was silent. And I just went on. I'm like, well, if he's going to Colorado, I get his job. I wanted his job anyway, so this is all good. But I had this little thought. And you know, through a turn of events, he didn't end up coming to Colorado. You know who did? Me. God was leading me along the way, training me to trust him, training me to accept whatever's happening around my life. It's not lining up the way that I thought. It wasn't lining up the way that I wanted. I mean, even his position, he beat me out for it years earlier. That's when I learned in our little company, our little corporation, massive company, publicly traded company, that most of the promotions were inside jobs. So they went through all the motions and you fill all the paperwork and the dude already, he was already planning to move before they ever interviewed any of us. And the Lord's just saying, hey, this is not a fair world, Ed. I want you to taste it like everyone else tastes it. I don't want to taste this. I love you, Lord. I'm going to taste the sweetness of your grace. (laughs) But I had to taste a lot of, a lot of challenging things. Why? Because I look back now and I can say, oh, Lord, you were just teaching me how to love your people, how to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, how to be in the midst of pain and suffering and say, well, you know, I, I haven't experienced exactly what you've experienced, but I've had my own pain and suffering. So why don't we just seek the Lord together? It's not, hey, take two scriptures and call me in the morning. Everything will be fine. No, this one's going to take some time. Some complicated brother just called me recently. He had this whole very challenging situation. You know what my answer was? Ah, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. But how about we just talk about it out loud? Let's just talk out loud. See if the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom as we talk about what the Word says. And it was a phenomenal, wonderful conversation. And still, I don't know to what conclusion we came, except that we both left the throne room of grace. It's like, well, this is where you're going to find help in time of need, church. That's where you're going to find your help in time of need. You can have all the Bible knowledge that's there, but the Spirit of God is ready to lead you. But church, please, I beg you. I beg you that are here. I beg you that are going to listen to this later. Godly sincerity and simplicity is where it's at. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and He'll lift you up. He'll take care of your life. He'll watch your back. He'll pave the way in front of you. He'll hem you in behind and before. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. Be, be like Paul. He says, this is how we lived in the world. Paul was a tent maker. That's how he made a living. And then he served the churches. So he lived among the world this way. But then he said, but you guys, you got more of it. That's how much I love the church, Paul says. You got more of it. Simplicity and godly sincerity. Two things that cut through all the religious nonsense and religiosity that poses as a true relationship with Jesus. All that cuts to the chase. And you are bare before the world. This is who I am. This is who God has made me. This is what God's doing in my life. And I am happy. And so you can look for godly sincerity. You can look for simplicity. You can search it out even in this church family. Religion, those that are caught up in religion, have a tendency to complicate things. False teachers like to complicate things. They like to confuse you. Even as we've read earlier, why? Because in the complications and confusions, you will then turn to them for answers. So they muddy the waters and then promise you to unmuddy them. But you did it first. 
You made the muddy waters. Yeah, but I've set it all up. So if you come to me, yeah, but what about the Lord? I will take you there. No, if you wouldn't have muddied the waters to begin with, I could have gone straight past you, bro. And that's what they do. Manipulation and control is sinful. And it's not from the Lord. So much in your life and mine is simple. It's not hard. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor. But, and then immediately some of you are like, but how? Glad you asked. You take your Bible, you open it, and you start reading the words. But how do I pray? And some of you resisted prayer today because you're so embarrassed. You're like, you're so afraid. Well, that's a little, you're complicated. Why are you so complicated? What do you care what they think? Just pray. You're too complicated. Just pray. Yeah, but what will they think? They'll probably think what they're going to think, but who cares? You're not going home with them. <clears throat> you just obey God. Just keep your eyes on Him. He wants you to pray. He wants you to pray for the person. He wants you to pray. Just pray. Don't complicate it. Well, what do you mean? It's simple. It's simple. How, how do I love God? Same way you love someone in the hu human realm. You talk to them, hang out with them, enjoy them. Give your devotion to them. You just enjoy life. How do you love your neighbor? You take all of the love that God has given to you and you just give it away. And you care about your neighbor when you haven't seen them. You, you care about someone you haven't seen in church in a while. You, you care. That's the word. That's always the word that, that we remember. Just care. If you just care, the Lord will lead you and guide you and take care of you. He'll just minister to you. And it's simple. We're going to learn... We won't go there now, but in the next few weeks and into the new year, we're going to do a four-part series in Acts 2.42 toward the end of Acts chapter 2, where we're just going to look about the simplicity of the church. What, what makes a healthy, strong church? It's all right there, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in fellowship, and the breaking of bread. We do all that tonight. That's exactly what we did tonight. And you'll have ample opportunity after we, uh, after we end our Bible study and have our last song where you can just talk to people. Yeah, but I don't know anybody. Here, here's for that. For those of you that know, don't know anybody, just add one more word to that. You ready? I don't know anybody yet. Just go up and introduce yourself. Hey, how are you doing? They're like, man, that's so weird. Yeah, it's only weird until you do it. And then it's not weird anymore. So how can I pray for you? God's put me in here to connect. This is, I, I'm now, I'm fellowship. What is this? And I want you to bring you back to simplicity, perhaps a simplicity you've never experienced before. And that is whatever you're taught, do it right away. Like whatever you're taught, oh, of course, I'm not asking for, in, in this particular fellowship, as I'm the primary teacher, I'm not the only teacher, but I'm the primary teacher. If I'm teaching accurately, do what you're told. Just do it. Don't question me. Don't get mad at me. Don't email me. Just do it. <clears throat> Just do it. Don't even ask to clarify. Just do what you believe the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. Of course, the Bible says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. So I'm not going to be 100% correct. I'm not Jesus. So if I make any mistakes, you can email Ian. He's, uh, his email box is empty or <clears throat> whoever might be taking those emails. But just do it. Well, why aren't you doing the word? What happened? What happened to the simplicity? Like, that's what the Bible says, I'm going to do it. 
Now, that's what the Bible says. Ah, but I don't know, and I'm not sure, and that's so hard, and I don't know. Just do it. What does Paul say? He says, I came with you godly sincerity. So make that a prayer. God, I want to be more simple. I want to be simple in my walk with you. Things are so, there's so much around us that's so complicated. We have no control over But our walk with the Lord, we have control over that. You can't touch that. You can't touch my walk with the Lord. You can't have it. You can't touch it. It's not yours. It's a gift of God to me. And I guard it and protect it with my life. You can't have it. It's interesting that when people do email me, one of the major complaints that seems to be repetitive over the years is a complaint that usually goes something like this. Your church is too simple. Your teachings, too simple. Your music, too simple. And whatever it might be. Just too simple. Yeah? We're not super polished here because we don't try to be polished. We try to do our best. I mean, man, the folks here, servants here, they work super hard to take care of you, make things nice, clean. I mean, even for us as pastors today, we spent about an hour and a half putting the chairs back for you because we moved them. Uh, the high schoolers moved them so you could put up all these decorations for Christmas. So we could just be in the festive mood of celebrating the birth of Jesus. But, you know, we're not, we're not going to uh, make a big deal about it, even though I probably just did. But, you know, the guys, they work hard here. The gals, they work hard here. The servants work all day and then come serve. And, you know, you got people that are working all day and have some last minute requests to come in. And boom, they come in. Why? Because they love Jesus and they love you. They love to serve the Lord. Too simple. Yeah, we're going to stay simple. We're not going to be polished. You're going to get what you get. What you see. I love visitors when they come in and they go, see, oh, you know, I was my first time here. Well, welcome. He says, you know, I just really want. And I said, what you see is what you get. There's not much more to this church. There's not much more. This is it. Well, what do you just sing? Yeah. Just teach a long, drawn out Bible study sometimes. <laughs> and you just talk about the Bible? Yeah. Well, what's next week? Isn't it going to be an exciting Bible study? I hope so, but it's in Jude. We're just going to pick up in verse 8 where we left off in verse 7 because we believe the Bible is relevant to your life. We believe that Jude wants to change your life. Like God, Holy Spirit put it in the Bible for a reason. Simple, yeah. Too simple? I mean, I don't know. I wonder sometimes exactly what that means. I mean, do people, and if you're really getting ready to email, like, do you really want me to make the Bible hard for you to understand so you walk away going oh man i have no idea what the bible says i got to answer to god for that jesus was a simple teacher did you notice that he's walking around you go see the flowers oh yeah they're beautiful uh you know what see how beautiful they are you go, yeah of course i see how beautiful they are your father in heaven he clothes you even better he looks out and he sees people. He goes, look at that. Look at all these people dressed in white. Look at all the activity. Yes, we see that, Jesus. We see that. We see that every day. But I want you to see something special, the harvest. It's ripe under harvest. It's ready to be picked. See, it's not the wheat. It's the people. Jesus was the master, obviously, of taking the amazing depth of God honoring truth, God in human flesh, and making it so easy to understand. He's done that in my life. We just came back from cutting our Christmas trees. And I think this year, 
Marie found the best one we've ever gotten in 20 years. It is beautiful and amazing. And we set it up in the backyard to rinse it off and get it ready. And wouldn't you know it, every bird in the neighborhood is in our backyard picking at that tree. I mean, it, it, it was chaos. Because by now, the birds are all gone. They paid their last rent, and they're moving on to the next house. And they, I mean, it was just, it was chaotic. I said, Marie, you got to see this. This is never, look at this. And I think they're like, man, look at what she got. Look at that tree she got. And she's, but they're just picking out for their nest, right? They're just setting everything up. And this tree is so full. It's unbelievable. She's just taking on. And, you know, I think every time I see the birds think they own my house, I remember Jesus. He says, I want you to look at the birds, Ed. Seriously, I want you to watch them. And I want you to understand how well I take care of them. You go out, I send you to the mountains. You trek for a million miles on the backside of whatever mountain we're on in another state so that your wife can cut a tree and you can carry it on your shoulders for the 50 miles back to the car. And then I'm going to send a brother with you and you're going to stick it in the back of his truck and then he's going to drive the tree home and then his wife's going to drive the tree back to your house. Why? So those birds can be taken care of. So they can have whatever they need for their nest. They go, no, Lord, it's for our house. Yeah, before it gets in your house, the birds are going to get it. Like, okay, Lord. He says, you see it? Yeah. You understand it? Yeah. You know, all the complaining and cutting. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. If I'll do that for those birds that are nameless, that disappeared and came back, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? Jesus was the master. He still is, obviously. I'm not going to make things harder for you. I'm not going to make things more difficult for you. I'm not going to make you walk out going, man, I have no idea what that guy said. He sounded smart, but I don't have any idea. Neither will I give you a Bible study where you walk on and go, oh, oh, I can't believe what a great teacher Ed is. Oh, he's so good. Oh, what a great teacher. Oh, that doesn't encourage me. You know what encourages me? When you walk out and you go, man, what a great God I serve. And the only way that can happen is if I get out of the way, let the Holy Spirit use me. Yep. The Lord wants to use me just like he wants to use you, but I need to be more simple and more in my godly sincerity so that God might use me in these last days. How do you avoid apostasy? How do you make a difference in your community? How do you steady on when everyone's falling to the wayside around you? You walk humbly, broken, simple, authentic, Godly, sincere lives. One last thing. I know we're out of time, but I want to give you one last thing. That word sincere, in the Latin, they would define sincere as sincera. Sincera. Literally, the word means without wax. You go, what's that all about? Well, it refers to something that's pure, unadulterated, and unmixed, unmixed. In the ancient times, mistakes were made as a piece of pottery or a statue was being formed and fashioned and chiseled. 
there would be an accidental crack and a nose would fall off. And you, can't, you couldn't just glue it back on because it would be obvious that there was a mistake. So instead of starting over, the artist would take wax and mix it with dust and fix it all up to fill in the cracks or even form a brand new nose. And they would sell it as new. And as they'd sell it, the owner would take it home, he'd put it in his front yard and show it off until the hot sun would come out. And it would be the beating sun coming upon that figure with a fake nose that would melt the wax and they would find out that their statue was not sin, Sarah. The heat would be a revelation. And isn't it true in your life? A lack of sincerity is eventually revealed. But there's no need for that, church, as you choose to walk godly sincere, authentic lives, without wax. There's no need to fake it here. No need to put on a show. No need to max, mix wax and pretend you're something that you are. You can be yourself surrendered to the Lord. There's a fancy Bible word that, we, that is used to describe the work of Jesus Christ in your life, making you more like him. And I, we studied this in Romans. You can listen to it online. It's the word sanctification the ongoing work of setting you apart and conforming you into the image of Christ. It's such a great promise of the Lord that you and I are being conformed into the image of Christ. So Father, as we are warned by Jude today and reminded of the godly sincerity, our hearts are knit together with yours. May you have your way with us. We, we tackled some truly challenging things surrounding the topic of hypocrisy. And so I pray for your church, God, that, that we would respond with, you know, some, we don't have to worry. There's nothing hypocritical. You know, and that's a good thing. I received that word, but I, I examine my life. I'm, there's nothing hypocritical in my life. I am who I am by the grace of God. And I pray that our church can continue to walk that way. No, I am who I am by the grace of God. Not a perfect man, not a perfect woman. Not, not someone that can pretend to be perfect, but just real people, Lord. We don't want to be used in someone's deconstruction story, but rather we want to be used in someone's salvation story. Of how you used our lives, our testimony, our witness, our church, our whatever. It's all yours anyway. It's all yours. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Thank you, Lord for your faithfulness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 